So I kind of feel like my sermon's already been preached today, but um, I think that's kind of what happens when you preach on worship and you worship before that, but that's okay. Um, So there might be some redundancy, but I think it's gonna help you guys um, to learn about why we do what we do. And as I started to prepare this and hear the Lord on it, I, I figured out, you know what? I think the Lord wants to really highlight worship for us in this season, um, he put it on my heart to share on it today. Then, a, then it just happens that we have a worship night tonight, as Jacob said, the burn on Friday with worship from different people from around the, um, the city. And then we have the Arise Warrior Conference when you got five different speakers, three different worship sets at that. We got another church coming here to lead worship that Sunday. And then um, my wife, Heather, is gonna be able to speak on the fifth on worship in the home and worship as a lifestyle when you have 11 kids hanging out. And then um, I'll follow up that next week and really get to the nuts and bolts of the how and the why. We're even gonna do some interviews with um, Jacob, our production manager. I don't know if he knows this yet. And one of our worship leaders to really get you guys some behind the scenes stuff as to what's really going on with worship in this place. I think sometimes worship can become a little bit routine. And I I thought about this as I went to the dentist two weeks ago and um, I, I had a checkup and it was all good. It all came out good, no cavities, nothing. And it kind of reminded me the importance of the routine. I don't know if you guys um, know the routine of of dental health involves brushing your teeth daily. Um, I don't know if you wanna, let's look look at your neighbor and just say, hey, I brushed my teeth today. And make sure you breathe really good on them. Good, because this is actually a really good habit. It's a really good routine. And going to the dentist reminds you, you know, that was really important that I chose to do that because I would have had to pay a whole lot more money and had a lot more pain if not. And so in worship, in this month of worship, we're gonna look at the routine of worship and then we're gonna go back to the why do we do what we do? And I think it's really important that we do this every once in a while and that we look at the how and the why and go back to the foundation. I believe there's some nuggets of truth that are really gonna capture our hearts today and this month. And each one of us is gonna grow in our worship with the Lord so that everyone in this room can say, yes, at Global River, I learned how to worship. Not just to put on a show here Sunday morning, but I learned worship as a lifestyle. So that's what it's about. Um, Why worship? Why is worship a priority in this church? Because um, if you look at our our name, Global River Church, we are kind of a missions-focused church. If you guys haven't figured that out yet, you will soon. There's a a trip going to Nepal and India next month. We've got a youth going to Brazil this summer. Um, We're all about our city. We had um, the Night to Shine on Friday. Anyone was part of that? Yes, it was amazing. Just missions in our city. I want to honor um, Aaron Escobar and Christy and Vince back there. You guys were, you rocked. It was an incredible event. Incredible event. Pioneering something in our city. And just, if you watch, if you go to the Channel 3 website and just watch, um, there's a video recap of it. And even the news anchor says, I'm going next year. And uh, it was just really a positive thing in our city that we got, we got to touch that community and just bless and love them. Super cool, super cool. Thanks, guys, for pioneering that in our midst. So, so why make worship a priority in a missions-focused church? Do we do it to get closer to God so that we can get filled up so that we can go get more converts? 
Well, I mean, it's good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. It kind of happens, right? But worship is not about manipulating God to get something. Worship is not a means to an end. It's not the warm-up for the sermon. It's not even the means to the end of goal, the goal of changed lives. Worship is the end. Worship is the end goal, period. Think about this. Worship is the end goal. Worship is our ultimate calling. John Piper has this famous quote. You guys may have heard it. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God, to worship, and enjoy him forever. So why do we do missions? So that more people will get saved and then worship. Good. Why do we go to the streets and pray for healing? So that more people will get whole and then Worship, worship is the ultimate end goal. And we've gotta understand that end goal or else we get lost in the process and we get out of focus and we miss the main point. So my wife and I, we got to do these um, summer mission projects in college. We would go for the whole summer to St. Louis with this um, organization, it was called His Life Ministries. And it, there, there's really one thing I remember in all the teaching we had in discipleship of the two summers and it was this quote. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing, to, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus, and the main thing is worship. So our calling as the body of Christ, and we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, is to bring the kingdom and the kingdom is so much more, it's here and now. It's not just, hey, I'm gonna get saved and go to heaven when I die. The kingdom is for now. And the kingdom is about bringing heaven to earth now in the present tense, in this moment. That's what happened this morning in the room. It was pretty cool. When heaven comes down to earth. So what's going on in heaven right now? If you read Revelation, you read the word, you figure out that there's some pretty good stuff there. First off, God's there, his presence is like they're there, right? And then what else is in heaven? There's perfect peace, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect contentment. There's no more pain, no more death, no more sickness. But what's the primary thing that's going on in heaven? Worship, worship. amen. You know, you, that was a trick question because you guys, we knew the answer because I was talking about worship, right? Anytime I ask a question, just answer worship or Jesus, and you're good to go. That's what I do with the kids and kids and youth. Yeah, they get it all the time. So worship, the end goal, bringing heaven to earth. We want to bring worship here to earth in this place, in our city. And so it really goes, if you go all the way back to Genesis, which we've done with Bill Johnson on Wednesday nights, and we've started to look at creation, God's intention, you had Adam and Eve in the garden, they were enjoying God's presence in an amazing way, like face-to-face -face communion, talking with each other, and that, that is the desire that is in our hearts to go back to that place. And Jesus made the way that we can. We can go back to that place and have communion, have connection, have direct worship with the Lord. And that is gonna be our absolute best choice. 
Because we have the freedom, God didn't make us like robots, so we get to choose, will you worship? Do we want to worship or not? He is not gonna make us, he made us with a choice, so we have a choice. Are we going to worship God? Are we going to lay down our lives before his feet? Or are we not? I believe we experience the fullness of our destiny in him in worship. Worship is the absolute best choice and where we experience the fullness of our destiny. Worship is also our supreme responsibility. As believers, our supreme responsibility is worship, to please the Lord. Um, If you have the Bible, turn to Matthew 22, 37. Guys probably know this verse, but it's an all-important one. Matthew 22, 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what comes first? Love the Lord your God with all your your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and some say and all of your strength. What comes first? Ministry to God. Ministry to God. Then comes ministry to yourself and then to others. But it has to be God first. If we get this thing out of order, it's a disaster. I don't know if you've tried it, and you've been bound by the fear of man and trying to please others, it's going against Matthew twenty two thirty seven and the order that God set up. It's the wrong order and it does not work. If you remember the line um, that we sing in here in worship sometimes and it goes like, I don't wanna talk about you like you're not in the room. I wanna look right at you. I wanna sing right to you. You guys know that? That to me encapsulates ministry to the Lord. It's like we're not just talking about him like, yeah, he's a great God and he's over here or he's up there somewhere, but no, he's right here face to face. We are gonna sing to him, we're gonna talk to him, we're gonna engage him, we're gonna have communion and conversation with him, the king of the universe. That is ministry to the Lord. That's why on Sunday mornings, what we did this morning, we had a good 40, 40, 35, 45 minutes of uninterrupted worship for you to minister to the Lord. We sang some awesome things to God this morning. Talked about him, we sang directly to him, we engaged him because we believe that is where we get really changed from the inside out, when we encounter him first. First comes ministry to the Lord, and then if you'll notice what um, Pastor Michael did, he turned it at that point where we started ministering to each other, and we started to engage the Lord in his presence, saying, God, what do you wanna do in this moment in my life, and then how can we love on each other and honor each other and pray for each other in this moment? And it was really cool, but try try doing that in the wrong order. It doesn't work nearly as well. We need the presence first. We need to honor the king first because that's what is set up in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Ministry to the Lord. 
So second, I want to also look at Second Chronicles. You can turn there. Second Chronicles 29:11. The Lord highlighted this verse to me about a month ago in intercessory prayer. And I'm not a really big um, Chronicles reader, um, but somehow God got me there. And I started reading this, and I, I wrote it down, highlighted it, meditated on it for a few weeks. Second Chronicles 29:11, And different versions highlight different parts of it, but I really like, I think this is the message version. Second Chronicles 29:11. It says, "God has chosen you to take your place before Him to serve." in conducting and leading worship. This is your life work. This is your life work. Make sure you do it and do it well. So if you look at the context of this verse, this was King Hezekiah's instruction to the Levites, to the priests about worship. He was giving them some instructions. Their role was ministry to the Lord that I just talked about. And it was 24-7, they took shifts to make sure they were ministering to the Lord 24-7. The, the really cool thing, though, is in the New Testament, guess who the priests are? Yeah, it's, it's you. <laughs> it's me and it's you. We are called the priests. We are called to minister to the Lord 24-7. That sounds a lot like lifestyle, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes a little bit beyond just the Sunday church thing into a lifestyle. This same verse in the NIV, to stand, we're called to stand before him and serve him, to minister before him and to burn incense. So like you are chosen to take your place and stand in his presence, to look at him face to face and engage the God of the universe and to connect with him. Incredible. You were chosen to take your place, stand in his presence, and we're all called to minister to the Lord 24-7 and bring the sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? Did anyone bring a lamb today? A bull? Yeah, you brought, but you brought something else, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> you brought yourself. You're the sacrifice today. And in the message version, it says, you're called to conduct and lead people in worship. And I started to think about it. You're called to conduct and lead the people in worship. And it says, this is your life work. So how, how can we all be called to conduct and lead worship? Because, I mean, the guys did a great, amazing job. Mark and Jamie this morning were our co-leaders, and they were leading us. So does that mean we're all called to get on the stage and play an instrument and lead worship? I mean, I don't think that's really realistic. It would be cool, right, if we all want to do that. But I don't know if there's enough churches in all the world for us all to, I don't know, conduct and lead worship. If you think about it, the light of God is in you, and you go out into the world, and you let that light out, and you let the kingdom out and have its way, and then people come to the light, and then they come to worship the light, what are you doing? You are conducting and you are leading people in worship. This is our life work, to lead people to worship the king. Pretty cool. So whether we're leading worship from a stage or whether we're leading worship from our desk in our job, whether we're leading worship from um, at home with our kids, 
It's all worship to the Lord as we lead people to the Lord. We lead people in worship. So I get super excited about worship, as you guys can tell. This is pretty super excited for me. Okay, I'm not a jump up and down and scream kind of guy. It would be fake if I was doing that. But this is excited for me because worship is one of my primary passions in life, the reason why I live. And so I want to tell you a little bit about my experience in worship. And I grew up in a denominational church, and we would sit down, and then the, the pastor leader, or the worship pastor leader, would tell us to stand up and get out your, your hymnal, and you turn to page 211, and I'm, and I'm standing there, and I'm trying to understand the words that I'm singing, and I'm trying to read, and I'm like, why does it go here and here? Where, where, what's happening? Because I have no idea how to read music. And then, um, and then he, by the time I figure out the song, he says, sit down, and I've sat down, and um, now, hymns are wonderful. I'm not dissing hymns at all. There's amazing truth and stuff in there. But I did not engage with the Lord in worship in that environment. And that was zero to 18 in, in that church environment. So when I hit a youth group, actually, around 14, 15, at the, my first experience, I think, in authentic worship was at the youth pastor's house. He was kind of crazy. He invited all the youth over to his basement. We put holes in the wall and all kinds of stuff. And we had a great time. And we, had, we didn't have anyone that played any kind of musical instrument, but he had the words on these poster boards with Sharpies. And we would sing, you know, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it. You'd sing all those, the songs of the day. Um, and then we sang, Lord, you are more precious than silver. You remember that song? Nothing I desire compares with you. And then this holy hush envelops the room and God filled the room with his presence and I was speechless. I'd never felt that kind of peace before. And that's kind of a big deal with a bunch of rowdy 6th to 12th graders who just got finished throwing each other into the wall. It was amazing. That was my first experience with worship. And then... In college, I had this friend, his name was Rick, and he went to the vineyard in Florida, Vineyard Church, and I was at a denominational college, so they, their church campus thing was a little more denominationally. And so he took me, somehow he had a car, he took me to Knoxville, Tennessee, and we went to a church called Trinity Chapel. And I still remember exactly what the, the seats looked like, the room, everything. And we started worshiping that song, um, you're all I want, you're all I've ever needed. You know that one? And um, I watched him, and he was like putting his hands up and closing his eyes, and his face was engaged, his countenance was engaged with the Lord. And I, I just copied him. And I started to like actually, the words that I were singing changed me. And it was like at that moment, I emotionally connected with the Lord in a way I never had before, and I surrendered my life to the Lord. Like, I had surrendered before, I mean, but there was this whole new level of giving my life to him in that moment in worship. So I, I kind of went back, then I went back to the campus, and then we, I was a part of different Bible study groups and different um, gatherings, and I was like, we've got to do worship at these things. But no one knew. I was like, someone's got to know how to play guitar or something. No one knew. Or the people that knew weren't playing. They were playing different kind of things. And so 
I, I asked for a guitar for my birthday. My parents got me this cheap guitar, and I just started learning. I asked the people in my room, can you show me this and this, and this song and that song? And I sounded really, really bad. Heather can tell you, my wife, that um, we were in a small group together, and I was like trying to lead worship, and I don't know what was worse, my voice, probably my voice or my playing, but it was just bad. But I was engaging in worship, and I have to believe some of the people are engaging too. I, I just caught the worship bug. I I'd caught it and it transformed me. And I was like, I want everyone to encounter the Lord like this and be changed. Worship by definition means giving value to something. Giving value to something. It's declaring its worth from your perspective. Worship is declaring something's worth from your perspective. So this is, obviously we've gone way beyond just singing a song now, right? We're personally declaring what God means to us. One of the things Jamie said in worship this morning, you remember that? She said, Jesus, and I want you to sing out what he, I think she's, did she say what he means to you? Or something real similar, at least I translated it out in my mind. Yeah, what does that name mean to you? And I started, she started singing out redemption. I heard all different things around the room because we were personally engaging with Jesus at that point and telling him how much he meant to us. We were declaring, we were giving him value. We were worshiping. So this made me think of um, an experience I had, this would also be two weeks ago. We needed to get a new couch for our living room. And I am, I am not a new furniture kind of guy because I have 11 kids and I know the thing's gonna be destroyed in a few years um, if it makes it that long. And so I'm scanning Craigslist for used furniture and I find this couch that pops up and it's a catnapper is the name of the brand. It's this gray couch, super, super memory foam, super comfy, reclining. It's like an $850 couch new. I look it up online, they still sell it. I mean, it's only like, it's less than a year old. And the lady, um, $850 new, she lists it for $300 or best offer. I was like, oh, okay. Hmm. So I give her a call and kind of see where she's at with the price. And we kind of kind of settle on the price of $250. And so Zach and I clear out the van. We go, we pick up the couch. And um, I was basically saying, you know what? You say $300 or best offer. This couch, to me, I'm going to declare its worth. To me, it's worth $250. Um, yeah, you paid $850. It was worth that to you a year ago. To me, it's worth $250. And as we're picking it up, she's sharing with me how she's offended because someone else had offered her only $100. And she's like, I just think it's really worth more than that. And the reality is we're declaring the worth of this extremely heavy thing with foam and springs and foam right, and like um, wood. I mean, that's really all it is. We're declaring what it's worth to us, and I declared the most worth to it, so I got it. And so we get to her house, and um, I'm ready to, I'm actually thinking I'm gonna negotiate a little bit more when I get there, and um, go down to maybe even 200, 225, and she starts just telling me about the couch. I sit on it, I'm like, oh my, 
this is the nicest piece of furniture we have. This is super comfy. And then she starts telling me, well, I bought it a year ago and uh, I bought it with my husband and then he passed away. And so now it's just too big for me. I've been taking turns on this side and then I'll move over to this side so I don't wear out one side. And she um, just describes how nice it is. And I was like, here's 250. That, the, the, anything less is unreasonable. It's just not fair at that point. So if worship is giving value to something, what is your reasonable sacrifice? What is the reasonable cost of that sacrifice? How important is his love to you? How important is his character, his provision, his grace, and his mercy to you? What kind of response is reasonable? Because that's really what worship is. It's a response to the goodness of God. I think I could preach a whole sermon to give you enough evidence to prove that it's worth everything. That is the only reasonable response. Everything that God has done for you is to give him everything. I mean, your life holding absolutely nothing back. That is the only reasonable response in worship. So speaking of my amazing new couch, I got to sit on it and watch the Super Bowl. Super comfy. Oh, sorry. I, um, did I bring up bad memories for anyone? Oh, good memories. Oh, I don't want to start anything. Okay. Okay. If you go to a football game, you hear the crowd, you see people all dressed up, the face paint, the crazy banners. People are basically declaring worth to this team. This team means a whole lot. To me, And there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. Um, I think it's really fun to root for something. And, but the reality is everybody worships something. Who or what are you going to worship? I mean, is it the Lord? Is it football? Is it God? Is it money? Is it your family? Is it yourself? We're built. We're designed for worship. Everything about us is designed for worship. If you look at yourself, you've got these feet. What do you think they're for? To run a marathon? Maybe. But primarily, they're for worship. Because you can use them to jump up and down like the men did this morning. To, if you're more like me, you're a little more groovy and swaying. Because you don't want to sweat too much. Right? We're, um, and you look at her hands. What a, I mean, everything faces forward to something. And your hands are built to serve. They're built to love. They're built to lift up to the Lord. You are designed for worship. Even these knees to kneel down, to fall down on your face before the Lord and bow down and worship him. We're designed, we're built for worship. You like that? Good. So speaking of football, um, well, you know what's really funny on the Super Bowl is how many Patriots and uh, Falcons fans all just sprung up overnight, right? And I am, I am condemning myself in this because our fam is the only football game we watched all year long, yet we, we, we got together and we, it was a great excuse to make some good food and um, one of our daughters even had a football jersey on. I'm like, she knows absolutely nothing about football. I don't think she watched the game. Um, we found our football deep down in the bucket in the garage and the kids even threw it outside for the first time all year. Just like, 
we're pretty much the definition of a fair weather fan, I think, right? And we're all rooting for this team and cheering them on like we know anything about them and um, because it's just fun, right? And so um, 1 Samuel 16, 7, if you can go ahead and turn there. Because it's, to the, to the eyes, it's, it's kind of difficult sometimes to tell the difference between a diehard fan and a fairweather fan. And this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, it's, it's about Samuel, the prophet Samuel, and the Lord said, you know, David, I know his heart and he's the guy. He's gonna be the king. I want you to anoint him. And a lot of people didn't agree with that because David had this questionable past as a shepherd and all this crazy stuff. He, he didn't look like a king um, and all that kind of stuff. And, but yet, there's this verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. And this is a theme throughout all of scripture. I mean, even if you go to Jesus and he's talking with the Pharisees who they had, they were like the ultimate Fairweather fans, right? They had everything right on the outside. And what did Jesus call them? Whitewashed tombs. I mean, he was kind of boom, right? Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So my question is, are you a Fairweather worshiper like you come into the room and everyone's worshiping and it's cool and, I, and I'm, I'm just gonna join in. Or are you a diehard fan? Is worship in your heart and in your being and is it a lifestyle? Is it who you are? Are you a fair weather worshiper or a diehard fan? Because it's kind of really hard to tell on the outside because you can kind of fake it especially in this room, and like I can look at this person over here, this person over there, and I really have no idea if they're really worshiping or not. I can kind of guess, but I don't really know because worship is not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the heart. What is your heart posture before the Lord? Because that's what it's all about. It's all about him and pleasing him, our supreme responsibility, our ultimate calling, worship. He's looking at the heart. So I'm going to look at three different kinds of worship. And this is in Psalm 100. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 100, verse 4. Three kinds of worship that you'll see happening in this place and that I believe God ordains and gives us these tools to change us. Psalm 104. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Pretty simple, but extremely profound. The context here, these gates are actually talking about the pearly gates of heaven. The pearly gates of heaven. I will enter these gates with thanksgiving. What do you know about pearls? They're pretty. How are they formed? through irritation. Won't go into the story, but you can look that up. Um, Pearls are formed through irritation. I would translate that to mean trials and tribulations. Okay, this is why this is so important. I will enter these pearly gates 
formed of trials and tribulations with thanksgiving. So yes, God is asking you to come to him in worship in the midst of a trial, in the midst of everything is not okay around me, and be thankful. Really, one of the cool things is that when we are thankful and we actually speak it out, out of our mouths, it changes the reality around us. There's something super powerful about thanksgiving that I don't understand. It's amazing. And that's why it's so important, even when you come into this place or you're coming to wherever to worship, even when you don't feel like it, that you let those words come out of your mouth. You force them out of there. Because when we do that, it changes things. When we push thanksgiving out of our mouths, we don't just hum or we don't just lip sync. I mean, you actually can hear something coming out of your mouth. It changes you because our words are so powerful. So we enter the gates with thanksgiving. If you think about gates, um, gates require opening. Most gates require some kind of opening. If that gate has not been opened in a while, it may actually be a little more difficult to open than normal because it gets a little rusty. You, you get where I'm going here? Okay. Worship, open the door, enter the gates with thanksgiving. And this is, this is where the battle is at. New Testament spiritual warfare, where is the battle? Primarily in the mind. Why do we come with thanksgiving? We've got to go after that battle right there and choose to worship, to choose to be thankful, to choose a higher truth and higher reality, even when in the temporal realm it ain't so good around us. So, Worship, at this point, have you ever, like, it's happened this morning, it happens, I think, pretty much every Sunday. After we're done with worship, there's this incredible peace. Have you ever worshiped and felt peace? Yeah, it, it, I think it happens, like, 99% of the time that we engage with the heart of God, we get this peace. And it's not an accident because in the Old Testament, when they began to praise, the Lord was on the move. He sent ambushes to take out the enemies and things like that. In Romans 16, 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's, this is the, a little touch on the warfare conference, but you're gonna get a whole lot more. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Something about that battle of thanksgiving and then that peace that is released into your life and into the atmosphere. In the world, peace is the absence of something. In the kingdom, it's the presence of someone. In the kingdom, it's peace is the presence of someone. And so when we encounter God's presence, we are going to encounter this God of peace. And sometimes finding that place of peace in worship is the greatest battle that we have for the day. Making that choice to be thankful when we don't feel like it. Sometimes this is all that is needed to win the battle, is to get to that place of peace, to choose to worship. Because worship is so powerful, it changes 
when we fix our eyes and put our eyes on him and who he is, where our eyes are not, they're no longer on ourselves. They're no longer on our neighbor. It shifts our perspective when we recognize, you know, he is God and I am not. That revelation alone changes everything. Worship is calling out to him and thanking him for what he's going to do. Thank him for who he is in your situation, even when you haven't seen it actually happen. That's the sacrifice. That's the offering that actually costs you something. It's hard to open this gate, but we can do it. We can do this. You've heard this, the phrase, fake it until you make it. I used to kind of have a hard time with this in church because I'm like, you know, we're kind of being fake if we fake it until you make it. But I used to think it was kind of hypocritical to do that during worship. But then I started to think about what are we called? We're called believers. We're called to believe the higher truth that we cannot see. We are called to live by faith. So there's a certain element of worship that, about worship that is you worship when you don't feel like it. Because our emotions, woo, especially in my household, woo, lots of emotions going up and down. And I think the greatest solution to the problem is worship because it shifts our perspective. It aligns our mind, will, and emotions with the spirit and what he's doing and it changes us from the inside out. Amazing. So we're called to worship, to choose worship when we don't feel like it. We're called to worship when we're sick. We're called to worship when we've just experienced grief and loss. We are called to be thankful, to enter into those, to open up those gates. And that's like King David lived. If you read through the Psalms, he worshiped in the cave when they were wanting to kill him. He worshiped on the throne and worship affected who he was, his identity as a leader in everything he did. Read through the Psalms. It is incredible, his relationship with God and his example of worship for us. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving, Psalm 100, and his courts with praise. That's number two. Number one was thanksgiving. Number two is praise. Praise is when we start talking about him. We start declaring who he is. We did a lot of that this morning. We start declaring that he's in a good mood and he's good and he loves us. We, you guys remember that song? You're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are. We start singing that stuff. What happens in the courts of praise is spectacular. As we start declaring that he's a good, good father, we start to experience you're my good, good father. And it starts changing us. I call it the, the boomerang effect in worship. In the, in the inner courts of praise, we send this thing out there and declare, God, you are incredible, you are amazing, you are faithful, and it, guess what happens? Boom, comes right back, and it hits us, it crushes us, it redefines our identity and changes us from the inside out. So why do we sing the same chorus so many times? Like, can't God hear us? Like, I'm sure he heard us the first time. Why do we do that? It's not necessarily for him, but it's for us. Because it's the renewing of the mind. It's so important. We put that on our lips. And then what happens is it transforms our mind. It transforms our thoughts. It transforms our heart. It transforms our identity and changes who we are.
so, so good. I love it when I hear you guys going out of this place and singing the songs that we sing in here. I do it all the time. I sing, that's the song of the week. All your promises are yes and amen, right? I keep singing that all week long. The first time we did it, I'm probably gonna sing it all week long this week, right? And Heather's like, stop it, I can't take it anymore. Like, no, it's good. (laughs) So what would faith, the absolute assurance and conviction of the truth of who God is look like on a person? If you really believed it, let's try this. Um, I wanna just declare some things about God and I want you to just receive it and take it in. God is good. He is faithful. He forgives. God is loving. God is beautiful. God is so wonderful. God is the counselor. He's the almighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's an all-consuming fire. God is the father to the fatherlessness. God is the defender of the poor. He's merciful. He's compassionate. So we start declaring these things. The boomerang comes around. Boom. Boom. He's he's faithful. He's faithful. Boom. He's faithful. I'm seeing that. And all of a sudden, it came in my mind in worship, one of my kids that I'm like having a rough time. He's faithful, and I start thanking God, you are faithful in this child's life right now that you're gonna finish the good work you started. You're faithful, I started praying for him and interceding for him. I'm declaring God is faithful over this situation. I'm declaring that he's a father, the perfect father over this situation. It changes things. When we declare these things, if we actually believed the things we're singing, think about it we would be completely changed. This, this room would be incredible. The city would be changed forever. If we went out of here believing what we sang this morning, like really believing it. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. As we see him, we become like him. In these courts of praise, we become like who we worship. And it's true for the future. It's also true in the present moment. Anytime we turn our affections, we turn to him in the midst of whatever in the day, we're changed. We turn to him, we gaze upon him in worship, we're changed from the inside out. He completely renews our mind. We start to see things differently, feel things differently, behave differently. We get recalibrated. One thing Bill Johnson says that I love is that if you have only 10 minutes to spend with the Lord, He says, spend the first eight minutes in worship. And then the last two in prayer. Because your prayers are gonna be 10 times more powerful after you've recalibrated to his heart and what he's speaking. So I've been putting that into practice in the morning. I'll get on my guitar. If, If I only got 10 minutes, I'm worshiping. And it changes my day. It changes my heart attitude. We also trust who we worship. 
The courts of praise actually change us into better people because we begin to think rightly and act lightly, rightly. It changes us when we align with him. Worship in the courts quickly becomes this face-to-face conversation with God, and that happened this morning. Our simple goal in worship here is that you would encounter the presence of God for as long as possible. Because we believe that when you do that, when you encounter God for who he really is, you're gonna be changed. There's no option. You are going to be changed. More than any word I can speak out of my mouth, when you encounter him, when you encounter him through the words I'm speaking, when you encounter him through the songs that they're singing, that is what is gonna change you. That's the gospel, that's the kingdom. So that's what we're doing this morning. If you'll notice, sometimes the band quit singing and they're just playing. And at one point, um, Mark was up here and he's like kind of looking this way. I mean, they were kind of making sure their band was together. And then he's like really after the heart of God and asking God, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? What do you want to do in this room? And at that point, that's when we didn't do the same. God, what do you want to do in my life this morning? How do you want to change me? What are you speaking? What are you doing? And then sometimes the band will say, let's just sing out our heart to the Lord right now. Let's sing a new song. You know what's cool about a new song? It's new. Like, it's not on a CD, and um, it just came out of your mouth just now. It's real, and it's authentic. It's what's really going on in your life. It's the song of your heart, and that's what God is after during this time in worship. You have the freedom to bring that song. Don't worry about what you sound like. I mean, how many of us think we sound great when we sing? Probably not many, right? Some of us maybe have too much pride. No, just kidding. Not many of us. Let's bring our, our authentic heart cry to the Lord in worship. What's really going on in your life and what he's doing. I'm not expecting it to sound good. I'm not expecting it to rhyme. It, but I want it to be real and honest before the Lord. So our goal is not just to lead you in worship, but that you would learn how to worship and that you would encounter the Father. And so it's this flow back and forth between song and song as we encounter the Lord. And the cool thing then, we have the, after that time, we have the worship closer that comes up here. That would be like Pastor Michael today. And he like, he wants to like maximize that moment with you in the presence. God, what are you speaking? He's in worship praying the whole time, just like the band is, just like you are. God, what do you wanna do in the midst here? Because this is the most amazing moment maybe of the whole week because we got all these people engaged in the presence of God. What do you wanna do? Boom, that's when like transformed lives. That's when you get healing and deliverance and salvation and all kinds of amazing things. So much fun. So I'm slowly wrapping it up here. It's in the Old Testament, worship means to bow low, to exalt and to honor. So at the end of the day, we sing this song. We're actually gonna sing it tonight in our worship night. Um, It's all about you, Jesus. Worship, at the end of the day, it's all about him. So we lay down our preferences of, you know what, uh, that's not my favorite song in the world or the, I don't like the lighting just like this or the decor like this. It's all about him. That's what worship is about. It's about bowing low, humbling ourselves, and offering up to him this sacrifice of worship. 
The Old Testament definition still applies in new covenant worship, but then it goes one step further and the worship in the New Testament also means to kiss. There is this intimate exchange that happens in worship that's so powerful. So number one was Thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with Thanksgiving. I make the choice to push open that gate. Sometimes it's harder than others, but I will push those words out of my mouth. I'm thankful. I enter his courts with praise. I declare who he is. It boomerangs back and changes me from the inside out. And then I'm ready for number three is worship. Number three, instead of me bringing this sacrifice All of a sudden, I am the sacrifice. I become the offering. And that is totally what happened in worship this morning, did it not? (laughs) Come and consume God, come and consume me, right? God, I am the offering. I am the sacrifice to you, God. And this is just the inevitable thing that happens because we encounter God for who he is. It's It's the logical conclusion It's like, God, you were all of that. You did all of that for me. Boom. All I can do is give you everything. I am the sacrifice. I am the offering. So James says, faith without works is dead. So if true worship requires faith, then true worship is gonna have a work response. True worship is gonna involve works. It's gonna actually look like something. I'm not just talking about what it looks like if we're dancing or if we're closing our eyes or our hands are up. I'm talking about an inner work in our heart of surrender. And it's gonna look differently on each one of us. That's what was happening this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. We started to tap into that, and I think there's more. Because when we encounter and engage the presence and we're the sacrifice and the offering, this freedom comes in the room. It comes into our hearts and we get to live as we're meant to live in true freedom. Because when we give him everything and we give him our hearts and we give him our lives, we lay down what other people are thinking, the opinions and fear of man, we get to experience freedom like never before. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's what we're built for. That's what we're made for, is freedom. Last scripture, 1 Kings 18. Elijah had this, uh, this is the prophet Elijah and if you know this story, I'm just gonna really shortcut it and you'll have to look it up later. First Corinthians, first, no, not Corinthians, Kings. First Kings 18. Elijah, the prophets of Baal had made this altar to their God and they're waiting for God, their gods to come down and do their, his th- their thing. And they're praying and praying and praying. And Elijah makes his altar to the Lord. He takes a bull, cuts it up, puts it on there. He even dumps a bunch of water on the thing. Verse 38 and 39, 1 Kings 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their knees and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So if we're the sacrifice, if we're the stubborn bull cut to pieces on the altar, we're broken before him. We lay it down, we're the offering. What consumes us? Fire. 
Holy Spirit, fire, empowerment to go out and to do the stuff. Our God is that the power of the consuming, all-consuming God comes and rests on us so that we go out into our city and then our city declares the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So our city actually needs our worship. Our city needs our worship. And so when you come in here, you, you can't just like put your worship hat on and then when you leave, you just leave it at the door. That would be kind of funny if we had an attendant. Here, let me just take your worship hat because I'll give it back to you next week. Make sure you write your name in it. No, we don't come into this room just to get spiritual, right, and put our worship hat on because everything we do is spiritual. Everything we do has the possibility to be spirit-led by Holy Spirit. So we can't take our worship hat off when we leave. We keep it on in the parking lot. We still got our worship hat on. And then when we get home, we go out to eat. It's on, it's on us in the restaurant. And then when we get home with our kids and our families or wherever we're going, we have our worship hat on. And then we actually sleep with it on. And then Monday morning when we go to work at our desk, we still have our worship hat on. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship, true worshipers, worship in spirit, Holy Spirit, empowered life, and truth, turning back to the one that is truth, even when we don't feel like it. The last thing, worship, the New Testament also means, the, it's the word of boda, which means to work and to serve. To work and to serve. So worship becomes this lifestyle. Friday night, night to shine. What was happening in here? Worship. There was a lot of people in here worshiping. They were working. They were serving food. They were saying, you look beautiful. They were helping. That is just as much worship as singing these songs in here. It's the food pantry every Thursday. You know what I love to see in that room? More than all the people coming in, I love to see the saints in there worshiping. Not on the platform, but all around the room as they're engaging in conversations and serving food. That's worship. It's the house we clean, the kids we raise. It's just as much worship as standing here singing. So last thing, we know that worship is about pleasing God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So worship that pleases God requires faith. And if faith without works is dead, then true worship that's not dead will result in works. I'm not talking about man-centered, self-effort works. It will result in God-centered, grace-empowered sacrifice. This is when our worship is pleasing to God, when it's not about routine, not about singing songs, but it's about what's happening on the outside the inside out. It's a reasonable response. Worship is our best offer, declaring value for who God is and what he's done, all that he's done for us. Worship is our ultimate calling, our supreme destiny. We are created to worship. Everything within us is designed for worship. It's where we find true fulfillment in our destiny. We worship with thanksgiving, even when we don't feel like it. We go into the courts and declare who he is. It comes back and changes us. And then we become the sacrifice and the offering. And then he comes and he burns us up. 
and he empowers us to go out and live worship as a lifestyle. So as I was praying about how to close this up, I felt two things for us. Um, one, I wanna impart my heart to worship because I love to worship. It is a burning desire in my heart. And so um, if you want that, if you can just put your hands out. God, I just impart a heart to worship you. God, that you would put what, we're, what we dream of, what everything within us is designed for and cries out to. Put that desire in us to worship you every day this week to make the choice to worship, even when we don't feel like it, to turn our affections upon you and gaze upon you and to connect with you heart to heart and face to face. In Jesus' name. And the second thing I felt was really important is that we worship in a circumstance. So I want you to, um, I want, I want you to think about the, the trial or one issue in your life that's not right. Heaven has not come down in this area yet. So it might be a, a kid that's doing something crazy. It might be a money situation, a depression situation. I want you to think about that thing. Not too long. And now I want you to thank God for it out loud. God, I thank you for, I thank you for this depression. I thank you for this trial and this tribulation. I thank you for this situate, whatever happened. I'm not saying that God caused it God wanted it to happen, but I am saying that God is gonna turn it around. He's gonna work all things together for good for those he loves and it's called according to his purpose. So God, we're thankful for this and now I want you to declare who God is in this. So if it's unfaithfulness, God, I declare that you are faithful in this. If it's depression, God, I declare you're, you are the God of joy. If it's um, anxiety, I declare you are the God of peace in this situation. And Lord, I pray that you would release a breakthrough in worship in this area in our lives, God, that we continue to turn to you and thank you that you are a good God and that you love us and that you have everything we need for this situation in your character already. So we declare it to be so and we declare you to come down and bring heaven to earth in that situation.